if you believe in the Father and if you believe in the Son and if you believe in the Holy Spirit, come on, you can do a little bit better than that. Because if you believe in the Father, then you know that he created you and that he can care for any situation you find yourself in. If you believe in the Son, then you know he's the redeemer of your life and that you have eternal life with him. And if you believe in the Holy Spirit, then you know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So can we come on and give God praise for what we believe? You're almost there, church. Maybe you don't quite believe it, but I believe he, he gives me new life. I, I believe that he conquered hell, death, and the grave. I, I believe that he has all power in his hands. I believe that he can bring me through any situation. I, I believe that he's the lover of my soul. I, I believe that he's the regulator of my mind. I, I believe that he's a heart fixer. I, I believe that he can do just what I need him to do just when I need him to do it. Come on, can we give God praise for what we believe? Come on, church, put those hands together. Open up your mouth and let's give God praise in the house tonight. We believe. Hey. Oh, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given And I believe that he's conquered death. Oh, we believe. We believe. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we have come into your house of prayer once again. Lord, all week long, we've had to be at school, we've had to be students. All week long, we've had to be at our place of employment. We've had to be mothers. We've had to be fathers. We've had to be sons. We've had to be daughters. But tonight, when we come into your presence, we can just be worshipers. And we believe now, God, that you're lifting the weight of the week right now. We believe now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you're removing the distractions out of the way that we can hear from you on tonight. Father God, your people need to hear a word from you. Father God, we pray tonight that you would strengthen our belief. So many factors and so many forces try to create doubt in our minds and in our hearts about your reality. But Father God, we know that you're real. So many people may doubt you, but we can't live without you. Father God, we pray that you would help us tonight, that your word would take root tonight. We honor you and we bless you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. You may remain standing. We'll move quickly. Certainly, we're elated for this second night of revival. We thank God for your pastor. Um, we'll give remarks at the conclusion of the service. There is a word from the Lord tonight that can be found in the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. 
the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And we're going to start there, I believe, at the fourth verse. The 29th chapter of Jeremiah, we'll read the fourth through the 11th verse. I'll read aloud and ask that you would follow along with me silently. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The reading of the word goes on this wise. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Want to talk tonight from the subject, surviving in Babylon. Surviving in Babylon. You really can't go one night on a news channel or one moment on the internet without finding a report detailing some type of tragedy that has occurred in our world. Often attached to these tragedies, just like the Hurricane Matthew, you will find news reports and reminders of the survival tactics or strategies that we should utilize if we ever find ourselves in an emergency situation. We can ask all the children here now if they ever find themselves in an emergency they're to dial 911. Uh, it's common knowledge that if a part of your body catches on fire, you are to stop, drop, and roll. When, when you board an airplane, the stewardess educates you on to how to properly fasten your seatbelt and how that seat cushion you're sitting on can be used as a flotation device. Uh, but the reality is, beloved, that... Uh, or some of us will never have to use stop, drop, and roll. Uh, the majority of us will never have to use our seat cushion as a flotation device. But we all have faced tragic situations and spiritual difficulties that are not solved with easy solutions. Uh, if we're honest tonight, many of us in the room are facing a spiritual emergency right now. I know you're at church on a Friday night. I know mama and daddy might be in the room. I know you've gotten dressed up. You've got your church face on. You're made up in Maybelline, covered up in Clairol. But the 
reality is, is that some of us are in the midst of a spiritual crisis uh, uh, and emergencies and spiritual crises and tragedies come in our life regardless of your age, no matter how much money you have, no matter what church you may go to, and we all have faced or will face these experiences that threaten the very existence of our spiritual survival. Uh, we know the Bible verse that weeping may endure for a night and joy comes in the morning. We know the song we sang that trouble was in my way and I've had to cry sometimes. I laid awake at night, but that's all right because Jesus will fix it after a while. But what happens when it seems like my morning will never come and after a while does not come soon enough? My brothers and my sisters, I suggest this is exactly how the Judeans felt in our text tonight when they were oppressed and exiled into Babylon because we find in Psalm 137 the sentiment of those who experienced this experience and this exile we find that they said how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land how how can we worship how can we praise how can we survive in the midst of this problem they might have even asked the question if prayer worked because if prayer did really work, how would the Lord allow us to suffer through what we're going through? Because exile in Babylon was difficult. It was demeaning. It was dreadful. The Judeans were forced from their homelands and were forced to live in a society governed and fueled by institutions that were inherently prejudice against them. Uh, let me see if I can fix it. In Babylon, predatory and fraudulent check cashing companies were on the corners of their neighborhood and preyed upon the economic conditions of the working class. In Babylon, prisons were ran for profit and they picked on our young boys and our young girls and said, if they can't read at their grade level by the fourth grade, we've already predicted that they'll end up in this prison for our profit. Uh, uh, in Babylon, political parties would endorse candidates like Donald Trump with vile and violent rhetoric and then call you crazy when you say he's a racist. Uh, in Babylon, TV stations like BET and VH1 and MTV would depict our young, beautiful black queens as nothing more than sex objects, never reminding them of their worth and their value. Have y'all ever been to Babylon and Babylon three gallons of gas cost you more than what you make in one hour on minimum wage and Babylon white gunmen who shot up churches were labeled mentally ill but black gunmen are labeled thugs and brown gunmen are labeled terrorists in Babylon if you were black the police might stop you and if it wasn't for a body cam or if it wasn't for Facebook live you might end up dead and we would never know the truth. These
these are the type of things that happened in Babylon. It became hard to pray, hard to praise, and hard to trust in the Lord. But the good news is, is that even while you're in Babylon, there is a word from the Lord. And you missed your place to shout right there because even in the midst of your trial, even in the midst of your situation, the Lord loves us enough that he still sends reminders through his word. And the first thing I see in the text we've got to understand is that if we're going to survive in Babylon, watch this, it's in verse 5, it, we ought to remain productive. We've got to remain productive because God instructs the people to build homes and to plant gardens. Now here it is, the Judeans have been forced from their homeland. They had homes there and now they're living in a foreign land and the Lord does not tell them he's on the way to rescue them. Rather, God expects them to be productive even in the midst of their problem. And our challenge tonight is, is too often when we face problematic situations in our lives, we fail to be productive. Because when faced with challenges, our initial reaction and response is to stop. So when something happens in our life, we stop coming to church. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bibles. We get some bad candidates and we decide we're going to stop voting. We stop going to school. At any sign of resistance, our inclination is sometimes to stop doing what God is pushing us and asking us to do. But the prophet declares to us tonight, don't stop. But baby, you've got to pick yourself up, dust the dirt off your shoulders, hold with your head held high, and keep on pushing to what God is calling you to do. Because Noah had to keep on building the ark, even though people called him crazy because it had not rained yet. Joseph still had to interpret dreams, even though his dreams caused him to become a slave and caused his brothers to hate him. Moses had to lead the people all Although he knew he would never see the promised land. David had to keep on ruling the kingdom even though he got caught up with Bathsheba. Even Jesus had to remain productive knowing that one of the 12 of his closest friends would end up denying him and the other would end up betraying him. No matter what your situation is, you still have to keep pushing because the Lord tells them, he says, build a house and plant a garden. And he's saying, even in the midst of this situation, if you take some human responsibility, I'm going to add some of my divine ability and allow you to prosper even in the midst of your problem. Because if the Lord told him to plant a garden, he was just doing it so he could fulfill Psalm 126 and 5 that tells them, if you sow in tears, you'll reap in joy. Uh, if the Lord wants you to build that house, Judan, he just wants you to do it so your bedroom can get comfortable so that when you lay down at night, even though you're in exile, even though there are challenges, you can lay down and get some rest because he said, I'll keep you in perfect 
perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me. We must remain productive because he can take our natural, mix in some of his supernatural, and even in the midst of a problem, we still will prosper. But not only when we're facing Babylon must we remain productive, but we talked about relationships last night. We've got to recognize proper relationships because we're right here in verse 6. Jeremiah tells the people to marry, to have children. It's going to get tight, y'all, and to establish family units so that the people would be increased and not decreased while in Babylon. Jeremiah is specifically telling the Judeans, don't mix with the Babylonians because if you mix with the Babylonians, you'll lose your culture. You'll lose your faith. Uh, 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 and I want you to remain a people that's committed and covenant to me. Uh, and it was always God's design for the family unit to be strong. Uh, uh, he wants strong family units. And could it be today that we as a community find ourselves in such disarray because we have lost the concept of family? Uh, uh, could it be uh, the Bible gives us the pattern that, that, that they should find a husband and find a wife and then have intimacy to produce children? And it seems that today we've gotten the pattern Backwards, We've got too much multiplication and then try to go back and develop dedication. No, dedication and commitment comes first. Uh, it's not you my bae. It's not let's go half on this rent because we can save a little bit of money and move in together. It's not God's will for our families to be challenged with so much baby mama drama. And then we got the nerve to put it on Facebook and let the whole world know what's going on in our families. And we raise our children with so much hostility and so much negativity. And then we sit back and say, girl, I don't know what happened to Junior. Yes, you do know what happened to Junior. You happened to him. You raised him. And he's taken on the characteristics and finds himself in the same negative pattern, making the same mistakes, having the same generational curses that we have placed on them. But the Lord gives us the pattern to survive in Babylon. Not done because the text says, find husbands for your daughters and find wives for your sons. And the text here is clear that there's an expectation about the type of relationship that is heterosexual that the Lord expects from his people. Now listen, we have found ourselves caught in the wrong battle. It's not our battle to condemn. It's, it's not our battle to judge, but it is our battle to teach the truth. And we can't be worried about what the White House says. We've just got to make sure that we're teaching in love, in grace and truth in our house. And when we do that, when we allow ourselves to fall under the standard of God's word, he will begin to elevate us and rebuild our family units. And as the family goes, so goes the neighborhood. And as the neighborhood, so goes the community. And as the community goes, so goes the nation. We have to learn to pray and seek God to rebuild our family units. Now juxtapose 
to the proper relationship in verse 8. In verse 7, in 8 and 9, Jeremiah warns the people of improper relationship with false prophets who claim to be speaking on God's behalf. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we have to make sure that we don't just read the text, but that we also read what we call in seminary the co-text. And those are the verses and the chapters that surround what we're reading. But you can't just read the text and the co-text. You then also have to study the context. Because if you don't understand the cultural and historical things going on at the time, you'll misapply what the scripture is really saying. So you've got to read the co-text because you'll come to find out in chapter 28 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah has to get into a confrontation with a false prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah falsely proclaimed that the Babylonian exile would only be for two years. But God told Jeremiah it was going to be for 70 years. And can I tell you that I believe the false doctrine and false prophets we have today are a direct result of the spirit of Hananiah. Because often we see false teachers manipulating the fears of people and not motivating them to develop their faith. Because a lot of false prophets now try to push and propel quick answers and quick get-rich schemes and quick solutions for the problems of life. But, but, but really what we have to understand is Jeremiah was telling the people, you're going to experience Babylon. You're not going to get immediate relief, but rather you're going to have to reside in faith. Now, I thank God for the prophetic, and I believe he has gifted men and women of God with the gift of prophecy, but real prophets don't have to sell bottles of water and prayer cloths. Real prophets don't have 1-800 numbers that you can call and get a drive-by prophecy for what's going on. And these false prophets play on our fears just like Hananiah did. They, they promise things that will be quick and that will be easy. I tell you, you getting a check next week, next week come, and your bank account then went lower than what it was. They attempt to offer quick solutions to situations that God is trying to develop and mature our faith in. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And even in times of our Babylonian experiences, although we may be unsure of what lies ahead, although we may be unsure of the future, we have to reside in faith that we may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. We must continue to walk on by faith and not by sight. Don't allow fear to guide your life. Let faith guide your life because fear says, I won't tithe this week because my money is running short, but faith says, my God shall supply all of my needs. 
days according to his riches and glory. Fear says I'm frustrated and I can't go on, but faith says nobody told me the road was going to be easy, and I don't believe that he's brought me this far to leave me. Fear says you can't do it, but faith says I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Fear says you won't succeed, but faith says greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Fear says 2016 has been rough and I've made too many mistakes, but faith says I'm forgetting those things which are behind me and I'm reaching toward, I'm pressing toward the things that are ahead of me. And just because you're dealing with a negative Babylon experience, don't let it crack your faith. Don't let the enemy steal your faith. Baby, God is just using it to develop you. And if we're going to survive in Babylon, we've got to remain productive. We've got to recognize proper relationship. But also the Bible tells us that we must rely on prayer. It's in verse 7 because we see the Judeans are instructed to pray to the Lord. But what's interesting is they're instructed to pray for the place that is causing them a problem. Now, I don't know about you, but I put myself in the place of the Judeans, and they've got to pray for Babylon. But it reminded me, you and I are, as Christians are given an equally challenging directive by Jesus when he says in Luke 6 and 28 that we've got to pray for those who despitefully misuse us. And I have a hard enough time praying for myself, but you want me to pray for my enemy. Uh, and it, it, it really confused me, but I found out that when God instructs us to pray for our enemies, it is for our benefit. Because we have to change our view of prayer that it's not just to inform God of our needs and our problems, but prayer is a way that we internalize the character and nature of God. Because one theologian, Darnell, puts it like this. He says, prayer is exhaling the spirit of man and inhaling the spirit of God. Uh, and it's interesting that he defines prayer in this manner because when you think about our respiratory system and how we pray, we have to exhale uh, carbon dioxide and inhale oxygen. Uh, and what we exhale, carbon dioxide, is poisonous. And what we inhale, oxygen, is needed for our life. Uh, and if our bodies ever shut down and our lungs begin to stop working, it would become fatal to our existence. And that is exactly why prayer is essential while we're in Babylon. Because if we don't pray, we'll hold on to all those negative experiences. Uh, Babylon will be fine. Uh, that person that mistreated you will be fine. The person who stabbed you in your back will be fine. But you're holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to hate. You're holding on to unforgiveness. And all of that is crippling your spiritual life. We have to exhale the fleshly, natural, messy characteristics of man and inhale the character and spirit of God. We've got to exhale pride and inhale humility. Exhale frustration and inhale 
peace. Exhale hate and inhale love. Exhale sin and inhale the forgiveness of our Father. We've got to understand, listen now, that the answer to our prayers may not be a change in the situation, but the answer to our prayers might be a change in how we handle the situation. And oftentimes we question if prayer really works because we're not getting the answer that we want to get from God. We're worried about why God isn't changing the situation when the whole while God's plan was to change you and I. And that's why that hymn writer said, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I'm on my way to my seat tonight. If we're going to survive in Babylon, we have to remain productive. We've got to keep pushing. We can't stop. We have to recognize proper relationships and realize that it's our family unit that God desires to bless and to grow. We, we've got to understand that we've got to rely on prayer. But finally, if we're going to make it through Babylon, we've got to be reassured in God's promises. It's in verse 10 through 11 because the Lord tells the Judeans that he will never deliver them uh, he will deliver them out of their exile. And even though they will experience hard times, the Lord is promising them that I'm going to deliver you. Now you may not know when the deliverance is going to come. You may not necessarily know when you'll hit that light at the end of the tunnel. But you have to have confidence in knowing that someday and somehow the Lord is going to fix this situation. He said, because I know the thoughts that I think towards you, they're, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil. Watch this, to give you a future and a hope. Some translations will say an expected end. So the challenge is, is that God knows the end of the thing. And he tells us that the end of the thing is going to be for our benefit. The problem is, is we've got to execute faith because between the start and the end, we might have some hills, we might have some mountaintops, and then we also might have some valleys. Uh, between the start and the end, we might have sunshine, but we also might have some storms. And the thing that pulls us through what Ethan was saying, singing last night, is knowing that God is standing waiting for us at the end of our situation. And some people will tell you as you read and study this verse, Pastor, they'll tell you some, some conservative theologians will tell you that this promise does not apply to you and I. They'll say this promise only applied to the people who were in Babylon. I said that ain't Bible because Galatians 3 and 29 says if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heir, heirs according to the promise. So anything that God promised to Abraham, because we are his seed, we are joint heirs in Christ in receiving the promise. And Ty Trippett, he kind of flipped the thing. He said, the same God right now is the same God back then. If he did it before, he can do it again. And I don't know about you, I'm going to hold to every promise that God has given to me. Because in Genesis, he promised through Joseph that they meant it 
for evil, but I can work it out and turn it around for your good. In Exodus, he promised that I can break the shackles of your bondage and lead you into your promised land. In Leviticus, the Lord promised that I am holy. In Numbers, he promised that I am a man that cannot lie. In Deuteronomy, he promised that you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. In Joshua, he promises that you can conquer all of your enemies. In Judges, he promises that he is our king. In Ruth, he promises that he'll send us a kinsman redeemer and his name will be Jesus. And Samuel and Kings, he promises through David that he can anoint you and appoint you in spite of what other people say about you. In Chronicles, he reminds and promises us that the battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's. In Ezra, he promises he will restore you. In Nehemiah, he promises if you stay on the wall, he'll help you complete the work. In Job, he promises he'll give you double for your trouble. In Psalm, he promises if you look to the hills just remember all your help comes from me in Proverbs he'll promise that godly wisdom is the key to a successful life in Ecclesiastes he promises that to everything there is a season so although you're going through bad times now hold on your change is coming in the song of Solomon he promises that his love is greater than any other love in Isaiah he promises for unto us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace in Ezekiel he promises that he can take the dry bones in your life and cause them to get up and live again in Daniel he promised he'll stand with you in the fire just like he did the three Hebrew boys in Hosea he'll promise that he'll never stop loving you just like Hosea never stopped loving his prostitute wife named Goma. And Joel, he promises that in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The minor prophets, he promises that he is faithful to his word. And Malachi, he promised, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. In the gospels, he promised, whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. In Acts, he promises that he'll give you the Holy Ghost. In Romans, he promises that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. In Corinthians, he promises I have not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men yet what the Lord has prepared for them that love him. In Galatians, he promises don't get weary in well-doing for in due season you'll faint you will not faint. In Ephesians, he promises he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever think or imagine. In Philippians, he tells us you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. In Colossians, he promised, I was before all things, and in him all things are held together. In Thessalonians, he promises that the dead in Christ will get up first, and the rest of us will be caught up in the air to meet him. In Timothy and Titus, he promises that sound doctrine and sound preaching will bless the church. And Hebrews, he promises that faith is not the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things not seen. James, he promises you can count it all joy, and you'll find out that your Babylon was just developing your patience. And Peter, he promises that you're a chosen generation.
generation and a royal priesthood. And John, he promises, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And Jude, he promises, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before his presence in glory with exceeding joy. And in Revelation, he promises that you and I will get the victory. You got 66 books that God promises. And too often in our life, we allow the negative situations to override what God has promised us. But I believe tonight somebody knows that song we used to sing, that I've seen the lightning flashing, and I've heard the thunder roll. And I felt sin breakers dashing, uh, trying to conquer my soul. Uh, but I heard the voice uh, of Jesus tell me still to fight on because he promised uh, never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Uh, and is that anybody's testimony tonight? Uh, that through it all, uh, the Lord has never left you uh, nor forsaken you. Uh, he promised uh, that he'll be with you uh, during your trial. Uh, he promised uh, that he'll be with you uh, during uh, your storm. Uh, the Lord never promised uh, that you wouldn't go through hard times. Uh, he just promised that I'll be with you uh, in your time of trouble. Uh, and I don't know, uh, I don't know uh, about you tonight, uh, but he's the one uh, that I want with me uh, in my time of trouble. Uh, because he's the one uh, that's a father to the fatherless. Uh, he's the one uh, that's a mother to the motherless. Uh, he's the one uh, that can give you joy uh, that the world can't take away. Uh, the Lord's the one uh, that can put running in your feet. Uh, clapping in your hand uh, and joy on the inside. Uh, he's the one uh, that can make you run uh, when ain't nobody chasing you. Uh, he's the one uh, that can make you laugh uh, when nothing's funny. Uh, he's the one uh, that can make you shed a tear uh, and nothing's even wrong. Uh, anybody know the one uh, that wraps you in the cradle of his arms? Uh, anybody know the one uh, that picks you up, uh, turns you around, uh, and place both your feet uh, on solid ground. Uh, grandma taught me uh, he's a mind fixer. Uh, grandma taught me uh, he's a bridge over troubled water. Uh, grandma taught me uh, he's a wheel uh, in the middle of the wheel. Uh, anybody know that man? Uh, what's his name? What's his name? Hey, 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 yeah. We got to be reassured of his promises. And oftentimes, the enemies tactic and the enemy's strategy is to elevate 
our problem to cause us to believe that God's promises won't prevail. But God reassures us over and over again in his word that I'll be with you. And we never want to take anything above God's word. But even in our own life, we have experiences where nobody could do it but him. Nobody could do it but him. But tonight as this revival is concluding, the text also reminded us that we had to rely on prayer. And I believe even in my own life that prayer is a lost discipline. Just tonight in the office, we were talking about prayer internationally on the island of Jamaica and how prayer oftentimes for us has become a one-man show. We give the responsibility to our leaders, to our pastor. And sometimes we we honest, we, we lay in bed and say we're going to pray and before you realize that you sleep. Good intentions, but the activity behind it is lost. And we'll have pastor come and do the invitation tonight. But I just feel led, let's pray about praying. And we're going to do it different tonight because we brought up some good points in the office this evening. I'm going to pray, but everybody's going to pray. We've got Elder Palmer here. He knows how to pray. But I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And I want you to grab the hand of someone standing next to you. Don't just hold one hand. Get you two people. Get you a partner. Y'all going to be prayer partners tonight. And we believe God tonight that even though we might be experiencing certain situations in our life, that as we pray tonight, he's either going to change the situation or is he going to change us. So as I begin to pray, I want you to pray for that person whose hand you're holding. Pray aloud. We don't, we don't need any silent prayers tonight. But we're going to commence praying all over the sanctuary. Father, tonight, many of your children are struggling. They're wrestling. Thank you, God, for your children. Dealing with so many situations and so many challenges. But you loved us enough that you know every hair on our head. You loved us enough that you said before we were born, you knew us in our mother's womb. You love us enough that you know the way of our path. You know the end from the beginning because you're the author and the finisher. But Lord, tonight we pray for a revival in our prayer life. Lord, tonight we pray for spiritual vitality. 
Lord, we pray that you would cause us to get on our knees and you would cause us to seek your face. We ask that you would cause us to turn over the plate that we might fast and seek your face. Father God, we're praying tonight that you would bother us until we begin to discipline ourselves in prayer. We don't just want to pray at church, but we want to pray at home. We want to be an example to our loved ones, to our children, to our spouses. We want to be what you called us to be when you said your house shall be called a house of prayer. Lord, we believe you tonight. We celebrate and we honor you tonight. Father God, you know the issues that the people are dealing with, some health concerns, some spiritual concerns, some mental concerns, some financial concerns. But Father God, we believe that if you're not changing the situation, you're changing us. And Father God, we believe that anything we ask according to your will and in your name, you will do it. So Lord, align us to pray in your will. Father God, we want to be genuine with you. Father God, we believe that the prayers of the righteous avails much. And Father God, give us sign and give us signal. Give us response that you have heard our prayers. We know that when we pray, you hear us. We know that when we pray, your ear is inclined to the prayers of your children. Lord, we pray tonight that our prayer life is taken to another level. We pray tonight that our prayer lives are revived. We pray now that prayer won't become a last resort, but prayer will become a priority in our life, oh God. Father God, your children are praying, and we beseech you that you hear us now. Jesus, we know you're making intercession for us. We know you're at the right hand of the Father, pleading our case. Father God, hear these, the prayers of your children. We honor you tonight. We bless you tonight. We praise your name tonight. We magnify you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah and amen.